to ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles. Close your eyes and the Beatles, who originated as a small-time act out of Liverpool, now have no rivals. It's been a hard day and night, and I'm feeling down. And I do appreciate you being around. Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far. morning, Hope. Good to see everybody this morning. Uh, great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, we all survived. My favorite part, I don't know if this is your favorite part of Thanksgiving. One is family. That's also, that's great. I love that part of it. But then also, after Thanksgiving, having uh, cold turkey sandwiches. Anybody else? Oh, so good. Man, that's the best. That's like so good. I, I, a few things, exciting things happened this Thanksgiving uh, for us, for my family and for me. Uh, one is we, my six-year-old Beck, uh, we went to my parents in Northwest Iowa and my six-year-old uh, wanted to have a Nerf battle with my brother and sister-in-law and my parents and my wife and I. We want to have this epic battle. So we she said, sure, that's, let's do that. And so we got all this Nerf stuff and we're ready to go. We forgot one vital thing, which I... 
both myself and my sister-in-law learned uh, really quickly was we should have had goggles. I got a Nerf dart right in the eye, uh, open eyeball, just straight on in the left eye. My sister-in-law got it twice. She got it same eye two different times. Uh, she was a trooper. I texted her last night because I was like, yesterday was the first day that it, um, my eye stopped hurting. <laughs> it hurt for like two days straight. Yesterday was the first day that it stopped hurting. So I texted my sister-in-law and said, hey, how's your eye feeling? And she said, oh yeah, I, I, I now just have double vision instead of triple vision. It's feeling better. So actually she's good too, I promise. The other cool thing from Thanksgiving that I thought was really neat was uh, on Disney Plus, uh, this uh, documentary came out about the Beatles. And I grew up, my dad loved the Beatles. My mom loved the Beatles. I grew up listening to the Beatles as well. Um, and so it's kind of cool to be able to watch this process that they do in this documentary. Peter Jackson, the guy who did like um, the uh, trilogy, the trilogy of the um, Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, you know, he, this guy in The Hobbit, all these things. He just loves these epically long movie kind of things. And so this is a three-part series on Disney Plus uh, documenting like two and a half hours long, each of them. There's two and a half hours long and documenting the Beatles and the, the rise of the Beatles, kind of like they were a quick start. And, um, you know, they, these young guys from, from England and they became popular all, all of a sudden in the world. And then it, this is kind of the downfall. This is like kind of the 10 years later, they kind of implode on themselves. As, as quickly as they started, they come back in on each other and implode and disband. But this is kind of their last album that they put out before they are done. And it, what's so interesting about it to me was not, it was fun to like watch them come in and you can watch them kind of craft these songs. Again, they songs that are super recognizable to me uh, and they're awesome and they're amazing so it's kind of interesting to kind of watch them come in with these little tiny nuggets and not all the words and maybe not quite the same melody that we know you know that we can sing back to them probably now uh, but to watch them kind of mold these things but to me the the most interesting thing and that I tried to kind of show in that clip was the urgency that's here like they decided okay this band that was huge and played all over the world and then um uh, decided we're done with concerts and wanted to just perform in a studio. They are in a studio-only band putting out records that are revolutionary and doing new techniques and all these cool things that now we do today that they're kind of starting. And they put out these amazing albums, these amazing concept albums that they put out there for other, other people to listen to. But like I said, they, during uh, Hey Jude, they kind of got, uh, they kind of realized they missed performing in front of people. So they said, okay, Here's the plan that we're going to do. We are going to write a new album. Cool. Write a new album. They've, they've done this before. We're going to do that. We're going to write a new album. But this time, we're gonna, when we record it, we're, we're going to record it live. We're going to record it live. And not only live, but we're going to record it in front of a, an audience. Like, we want people to be a part of this experience with us. So we're going to record it live in front of an audience we're going to have video cameras rolling during, this, during all this process of us writing and we're going to make a documentary. Okay, cool. So they just keep adding on to this vision. And then my favorite part of the whole thing, and they kind of talk about it is, it's got to be done in like less than a month. <laughs> That's what's amazing to me is that it's, it's not just this idea of like, okay, we got months to prepare and to plan and to prep and to write these songs and do all these things. No, the clock is ticking. Clock's ticking. It's due soon. Three weeks. Here we go. Let's go. And, and they're gonna, that's, that's their plan. And 
we've all been there kind of, right? Like we've, we've been there. We've been in this idea of like, maybe not in a super rock group, probably the best group of all time, not that part and, and planning what our next album is going to look like. But we've been there where we've made plans, we've worked towards those plans and we've then accomplished what needs to be done, right? We've all been in those, in those shoes. We've, we've planned things out and done those things. Well, this morning, uh, as Haley said, it's our first Sunday of Advent. This expectant waiting for Jesus' birth, but also uh, doing some research and reading. It's not just, Advent is not just about the fact that we know that Jesus was born 2,000 or so years ago and we are waiting for that. But we've also, that promise has been fulfilled, right? But there's another promise that's also there for us. And Advent is kind of as part of this promise as well. This promise that Jesus is going to come again. That it's not just that Jesus had come once and that he's going to, we celebrate it uh, here at the end of the month, but, or next month, but that really Jesus, we're also celebrating that Jesus is coming again. That this problem that was before has been solved and, and that we are, our relationship with God has been made right. Uh, recently, I had a problem that was, we, that was put in front of us. We, not a problem, but like a, a goal that was put in front of us. And that was, we, um, like Haley talked about, we have been working towards this field of hope. We've been talking this past month about this idea of field of hope, about raising money uh, to help build, to buy some land, to eventually then build a building where we can kind of roll into our community more and more and, and help more and more and have a space for us to gather and, and to do life and to have groups and to, to grow in our faith and to kind of point towards our uh, God, towards our community as well. And so when we, we got together, uh, you know, like at the end of the summer and, and we had a big group of people and we kind of split off into groups of different committees that would talk about prayer and, and talk about the, like kind of just like, how do we advertise this and talk about this and, and put this out there? And then I was put in another group and that was the party group. Yeah, the party group. I was very excited about that. We had an awesome, anybody else party group out there? Do we have anybody? Yeah, be loud. Let's hear you. Yeah, party group. All right. Um, and so we named ourselves the Party Planning Committee, uh, throwing it back to like the Office uh, TV show. And we're the Party Planning Committee. And what we did was we tried, our goal was, and our mission was to plan the party. Last Sunday, I don't know if anybody came and joined us after service in the gym, but we had a big, a big party, a big celebration, celebrating how awesome God is, how God provides for us in so many different ways. And we wanted to celebrate that last week. And so we met and we planned and we planned. And, and like all things, we, I, I think, honestly, a party planning committee, let me know. It, it, I feel like we planned probably like two, maybe three parties, actually, until we finally landed on the one that we did, right? Like we, and that's kind of normal when we plan. We have kinks that kind of show up and we readjust and say, oh no, let's vision it this way. But it was a pretty good party, if, 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 in my opinion. We had a cupcake walk that Sarah Bradley, who was leading worship, our worship leader this morning, uh, that she made them and she, that they're amazing. And we did a cupcake walk, which was amazing. We had uh, food from Hickory Park and Fairway provided food for us. And we had other games and prizes galore. It was super fun. But what's great is, is that kind of seeing that come, that we paved the road before we started and we kind of built it up and we kind of continued to uh, build towards that end goal, the party. Now we've all experienced this, right? Like I said, we, we've all experienced something to that form of planning and seeing it then come true in the, in the, as, it, as it kind of works this way. 
So this morning, we are going to talk about that as well. Advent and this idea of this expectant waiting and, and building this road towards Christmas, this, this path towards Christmas. And this morning, we're going to talk about John the Baptist is going to be our um, uh, topic this morning, our person that we're going to look at this morning. John the Baptist, uh, I would ar- say arguably would be, is probably one of the most important people in the Gospels. Now, Jesus obviously is the most important person in the gospel, uh, in the gospels, but John's right up there. Like John the Baptist, who is Jesus's cousin, uh, was this prophet, preacher, baptizing person that was uh, preaching uh, before Jesus was there, uh, just before Jesus kind of came onto the scene uh, and had a ton of followers that would, that would be with him. He was super important. When you look at John the Baptist, uh, in the, and what's written about him, there is not a lot of, uh, he's probably up there with how much is written about him along with Jesus. Jesus obviously has the most written about him in the gospels. But then John the Baptist, like you, you find out a lot about this guy and a lot is written about him, not only just like what we're gonna look at this morning, but then also later on in his life too, which, um, you know, we read about Peter and we read about some of the other disciples or Mary, but John the Baptist, there's a lot written. He has a lot of words in the gospels that are written about him. Um, even Jesus says that John the Baptist is a pretty big deal. In Matthew chapter 11, it says, I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. So Jesus is saying of all people who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. There is some importance here about this man, John the Baptist. John, Jesus's cousin. So what makes him important? Like what is it that makes John this important seminal figure in the, in the gospels? Is it because he's Jesus's cousin? No, that's not it. Because we have mention of Jesus as siblings, right? James, one of the books of the New Testament is one of Jesus's brothers. Um, but like there's other siblings that Jesus has and they don't really get a lot of mention in the Bible. It's not about that. It's about really, I think there's some other things that I want to kind of hone in on this morning that kind of point to what I think, why I think John the Baptist is such a, a, an important figure in the gospel. So if you'd like to, our gospel reading, if you want to join us, uh, we're going to kind of dig into the beginning of Mark. Our gospel reading this morning was from Mark chapter 1. Uh, verses 1 through 8. And so we're going to kind of dig in a little bit. We're going to kind of pop in and out of Mark 1 uh, this morning, uh, looking at who John the Baptist was and how Mark was kind of putting him out there as who he was. So we're going to look at a couple today. Uh, I'm going to kind of jump around a little bit this morning uh, on this. But first I want to say, starting in verse 4. So chapter 1, verse 4. This messenger was John the Baptist. He lived in the wilderness and was preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had turned from their sins and returned and turned to God to be forgiven. People from Jerusalem and from all over Judea traveled out into the wilderness to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. His clothes were woven from camel hair, and he wore a leather belt. His food was locusts and wild honey. So a few things I want to pull out of here about John the Baptist, about just from these three verses. A lot is kind of said about who he was. One, John lived in the wilderness. Uh, He lived in the desert. So he did not live with all, like in the society. He was set aside. He was set apart. 
He uh, was in the sect of Judaism or uh, called the Nazarites. And so what they would do is they kind of would be set apart and that's how they kind of lived their lives. So John chose to be a part of this, uh, this other commu- community and would live uh, apart from everybody else in the wilderness. John chose this. He chose to be a part of this, this group. Uh, so I think that's super interesting because not el- nowhere else really in the Bible uh, in the Gospels do we see uh, like, hey, this is where this person lived, you know? Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house, but that's all that he says, right? Like it's not say, they don't talk about his house or where his house is or anything like that. Instead, uh, or Jesus, right? Like we know that Jesus, we, we know that Jesus was not welcome in his town. We know that Jesus didn't have a home, but other than that, we don't really know where Jesus lived, how, where he slept at night or anything like that. But we know where John lived. We know where he slept. In the wilderness, in the desert. Set aside, set apart. Very interesting to me. Another thing that I think is very interesting that they mention this is that, that it says that his clothes were woven from camel hair. His clothes were woven from camel hair. And that he wore a leather belt. Very interesting. Why would they say that? First off, camel hair clothes. I'm sure those are the most comfortable clothes in the world, right? I'm sure that those don't itch at all. And they're just, you know, you want to put your camel hair coat on. I'm sure they smelled really good. Um, But he chose to wear certain clothing on purpose. And it was intentional. John wore this as a way to be set apart, to be set different, to be different than what the rest of the world was saying or doing. Again, in the Bible, it doesn't really talk about, in the Gospels, it doesn't talk about what people wore. Like we, it's, I think it mentions in there that Jesus wore a very simple tunic, but it doesn't say what it was made out of. It didn't say, you know, the, the details of that John wore a camel shirt or a camel tunic or, you know, and, it was, and that he wore a leather belt. Very odd. Very interesting to me that, that those details are there. And then finally, the last part that I think is so interesting in the details or that he ate only, his food was locusts and wild honey. Again, we, in the Bible, in the Gospels, we, we see that Jesus, you know, he, I'm assuming like when he fed the 5,000 and he had the fish and the bread, that he probably ate fish and bread. I'm guessing he ate some of that. Uh, at the Last Supper, we know that he had bread and wine. I'm sure there was other food that was there as well. We don't really know what Jesus ate. But we know what John the Baptist ate. So odd, all these details like that, you know, he lives in the desert and he wears camel shirts and, and he eats honey and locusts. Why is that important? Why is Mark showing us and telling us these facts about John? I think to understand that and to know why these facts about John the Baptist are there and why Mark is talking about this, we have to go back. And we have to go way back. I think we have to turn our Bibles all the way back to Genesis Chapter 1, where we have the creation story, right? In Genesis 1, we see God and God is, uh, is creating the heavens and the earth and creates land and water and, and creates animals and fish and creates plants and creates humans and looks back and stops at the end of it and says, ah, this is very good. This is how I wanted it to be. And then, like humans, like we do, we messed it up, right? And, and decided, and sin enters the world. And because that sin enters the world, it's not how God wanted it to be. Relationships were broken. And God wanted them to be restored. 
And he says, I have a plan to fix this. I have a plan to fix this. Now, humans, like we do want to do as well, we want to try to fix it, right? Something breaks or you do something, you want to try to fix that, make it right again. And so we do, right? Wars and, and there's wars that you read about in the Old Testament. You read about, oh, we need a king. We're making golden calves. We're doing all these different things to try to fix this problem. And the whole time God's like, no, I've got a plan. Just wait. Time continues and goes on and goes on and, and God starts to talk about this plan. He starts to lay it out a little bit, just kind of saying, here's what's going to happen or here's some idea, you know, here's some things to look for or, or here's some things. And he does this through the prophets. We have a, a handful of prophets that we can read about in the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, Hosea, Malachi, and uh, some others. God uses these people, these men, to, to speak his words to the Israelites, to communicate with them. And, and so, and one of those ways that he did and one of those things that he talked about was this Messiah, this plan that he had from all along to make things right again. Isaiah is one of the more popular of these prophets who, um, uh, that, we, that, that God would reveal his plan to and would talk about. And, and Isaiah would point to all these different things about the Messiah saying, this is what we're kind of looking for. This is what the Messiah is going to be like or what he's going to do. Or, and, and, and we can look then at now, what's kind of cool is we can look and we can draw these lines from Jesus and what he said and what he did back to Isaiah and, and Isaiah back to Jesus. And we can kind of see how God was speaking through these prophets and giving these ideas and, and, and pushing them forward uh, to his plan, building this path. But Isaiah also doesn't just talk about the Messiah. Isaiah talks about somebody who's going to come before the Messiah. Uh, in the book of Isaiah, we have for you here, uh, in Isaiah chapter 40, it says, Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Now, if you're paying attention, in Mark, we, uh, that from our scripture today, that same thing is there, right? Like, look, I'm sending a messenger to prepare the path, right? Mark is intentionally including Isaiah and some of these uh, prophecies about this messenger, this person who's coming before the Messiah. Intentionally, Mark is then trying to draw these lines between these two things, right? He's saying, okay, Isaiah said this, and here, John the Baptist is the answer, here, get it? Here we are. We're right here. We're on the same page, right? John the Baptist is who Isaiah is talking about. It's preparing the way. Malachi, another one of the uh, prophets of the Old Testament, he put it this way, talking again about the, um, this person that's coming, this messenger that's coming. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and their hearts of children to their fathers. Malachi, again, is pointing to this person who's going to prepare the way. Prepare the way for this Messiah. Prepare the way for Jesus. And we see this, right? Uh, uh, we can look back at this as well and draw these lines saying, okay, yes, John the Baptist is answering these things, shouting from the wilderness, preparing the way for the Messiah. So Malachi was a prophet. He was the last of the prophets, He's also the last, Malachi's book is the last book of the Old Testament in the Bible. And then it jumps to Matthew and the New Testament for us. And he was the last of the prophets. And the prophets then, after Malachi, God stopped speaking through the prophets. 
For 400 years or so, there's this gap of Malachi and then God is silent. And this anticipation, this waiting happens instead. Messiah is coming. We know this promise is going to happen. Now the things have changed and, and their minds change and they, some people think the Messiah is going to look like this. Some people think the Messiah is going to look like this. Another, they have their own views of what they think that, that the Messiah will be, but they know that the Messiah is coming. And then, and then we start hearing this voice from the desert. We see this guy who comes and he is wearing camel fur and his breath smells like honey. And he's preaching the word of God, saying, repent of your sins. Be baptized. That the, the baptism is, is washing your sins away. It's showing that your sins are being forgiven. People are flocking to the desert to hear him, right? And Mark, it says that people are moving to the desert, are coming to hear him. They are traveled um, from all over G Judea. They're traveling out to the, into the wilderness to see and hear John. This prophet, this teacher, this person who is proclaiming God's forgiveness, preparing the way, setting this path that in front of, uh, so that Jesus is able then to walk into the light. And he does, right? So John is baptizing people and, and preaching forgiveness. And then who shows up one day but his cousin, Jesus, right? And Jesus shows up and, and we can read about that a little bit uh, here in Mark where it says this. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And when Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens split open and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, and I am fully pleased with you. You are my beloved son. John baptizes Jesus as well. This is kind of like the start of Jesus's ministry. It was right here with John the Baptist paving the way and then handing it over to him. Later on, John talks about Jesus and he says that I'm not even fit to hold his sandals. He says that Jesus is so much more powerful than me uh, and so much more important than me that I can't even carry his shoes. I'm not worthy. So what makes John the Baptist unique? What, what can we take away from this, right? Like 2021, almost 2022. Isn't that amazing to think that 2022 is almost here? Wow, it blows my mind. I, I feel like 2020, I was so excited for 2020 and then got let down pretty quickly, uh, as we all did. Um, but what does this mean to us here in 2021? What can we learn from John the Baptist? What can what can what he has been what is what he has done and what he did? How can that speak to us? Well, John the Baptist lived a different way, and I think that we can as well. And I think that we can prepare our hearts a certain way here this Advent season to as we expectantly wait for Jesus. So, two things really quick that I want to point out here that John the Baptist did. One is that John the Baptist lived a life of obedience. Again, I am sure that John the Baptist saw people wearing clothing that was much more comfortable than camel, camel fur, right? I'm sure that he saw that. He saw a lot of people, but he chose to live that way, right? And I'm sure that he saw very tasty food that people were eating. And instead he just focused on locusts and wild honey. He chose to live a certain way, this way of obedience. Do we? Do I? Do you? Are we living in obedience? I'm not saying go and buy 
make a run in the store for camel shirts. Like, I'm not saying that. But like, uh, are we focused on ourselves or are we focused on God? We can go back to Genesis like we talked about. And, and once God, everything was good and everything is, was how God wanted it to be, and then humans started focusing on themselves. And that's when sin started, right? So are we living this obedience? Are we focusing on ourselves? Are we focusing on what that next promotion might be at work or that new car or, hey, I need a new, like, you need a new purse or whatever it might be that you're excited about. Kids, maybe you're focused on like Christmas list, right? And getting everything on your Christmas list. Is that showing obedience to God or is that showing obedience to ourselves? In Hebrews, Paul talks about this and he says, we, do, we keep our eye on the prize. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. We keep our eyes on Jesus. I love that that's one of our core values here, core mission, uh, 10 for 10 things here at Hope is that we want to keep our eyes on Jesus. I love that. Are we? Are we doing that? I think that's one way that we can have our heart being, uh, we can continue to work on that and have our heart be prepared for this, uh, for Jesus' coming here again. The other way is that John points others to Jesus. In John 3.30, he says, John, uh, John himself says this, he must become greater and greater. Jesus must become greater and greater. And I must become less and less. This guy who had this big ministry, people were flocking to him. And he's saying, ah, it's not about me. It's about him. Is that how we live too? Is our focus on Jesus or is our focus on ourselves? My challenge to you this Advent season is that, is can you uh, focus on Jesus and not ourselves? It's a bumpy road. It's hard to do. It's hard to get there. Uh, and because we really desire a lot of things for ourselves and, and things change and things move. And we see this as well in the Beatles uh, in this documentary. We see this like change, these changes that happen. They're like, oh, it's coming quick. We, are we going to be able to do this live thing where we record it and everybody comes and it's really fun? Okay, maybe not. Okay, what if we did something outside instead and we're going to go to this cool, amazing, like, pavilion area in Northern Africa? And they said, Northern Africa? How do we get people there? And they said, I got an idea. Let's put them all on a boat. We'll cruise there in three days. It'll be awesome. Okay, okay. And they start talking about this. And, and then they decide, let's just, do it. let's just record something on the roof of our building that we own, of our headquarters. And that's what they did. Check it out.
Get back. Thanks, Mo. I'd like to say thank you on behalf of the group and ourselves. I hope we pass the audition. <laughs> I love that, they, that the song is Get Back. Like, and, and they're, they're kind of like, in my head, I'm thinking like, okay, they're looking back, right? Get back. It's what we once had, right? They were together and they're, they're on the verge of breaking up. It was their last performance. And they're, the Beatles, the super group is gonna, they kind of see the writing on the wall that they're gonna kind of disperse and, and do their own thing. But that's not what we're talking about this morning. We're not talking about getting back. We're talking about looking forward, Right? We're talking, we have this anticipation, this expectancy of Advent and of Jesus's, the promise that we have of this Messiah that God has given us. And my hope is for us this morning is that as we reflect on who John the Baptist was and, and the way that he lived his life and the, what he did, that that can inspire us as well, that our hearts can change. Our hearts can get ready to meet Jesus. So hope, let's do that. Let's get our hearts ready to meet Jesus. Who's in? Anybody? Yeah, all right, all right. We can be loud, right, right? Let's do that. Let's get this season. Remember what the reason for the season is. It's not about presents. It's not about cookies. It's not about food. It's not about lights. It's not about decorations. But really, it is about our hearts being ready to welcome Jesus. Let's pray. God, we praise you this morning. God, we thank you for the promise that you have given us in your son, Jesus, that, that you, you knew that things were not right and you knew the way to correct it and that you cared about us so much that you would send your only son to die for us. And so God, this morning as we wait expectantly for Jesus, we, uh, and for, for Jesus' birth and for Jesus coming again, God, we pray that you will meld our hearts, form our hearts, make us one with you. When people see us, they see somebody living differently. God, when people see us, they see somebody who is pointing to Jesus. God, show us work in us this month, this year, the rest of our lives. Allow us to serve you and to serve others as we wait and as we look forward. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.